The title for my message this morning is I Am Bold. No, Colin, not bald, bold. <laughs> I am bold. You might have seen I put it on Facebook a fair bit this week just to put it out there to just get you thinking um, about this title. And we're just going to start, we're just going to read a passage in Acts 4. Um, if you want to go there, you can, or we're going to put it up on the screen. A quick, a quick uh, backdrop of this story um, is Peter has just been brought before, before the rulers, the elders, the Sanhedrin, like the, the judges, the, the bosses of the area. He's been pulled in into line because he's been going around pro- proclaiming the name of Jesus and healing in his name. They've just healed a beggar, a crippled beggar, who was a mess and now was totally, totally set free. And the Bible says that about 5,000 people came to Christ because of this miracle and because of what God did through Peter. So then Peter gets arrested and we start just here in, in this verse. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to the, all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, there's a little dig there, I love this. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but he's like proclaiming Jesus' name, proclaiming God, and then he just shoves a little kidney punch in there. I says, you, you crucified him. This is, this is the one we're talking about. The one you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. It's another little dig. Like, you killed him, but God brought him back. It's kind of like, it's a bit of like shame pointing, isn't it? By him, this man stands here before you whole. Next one, Dan. You're right, mate. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, like we sung this morning. God is a cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, untrained, they marveled and they realized that they'd been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. This is a great little, a great little verse that straight away shows someone's boldness in the midst of getting, getting in trouble, getting whipped, getting put in jail for the rest of his life, whatever the punishment is they had in mind. This guy stands there boldly proclaiming why he's doing it and even has a bit of a go at them for what they did but continues to be bold. So they eventually let him go because they've, they see the crippled man standing there. So they basically say to themselves, well, I guess they have done something and there's 5,000 people who are now kind of gathered around and talking about it because they saw it and now they're believers. So they can't really act. They can't really whip him or put him back in prison, even, they, even though they spent a night in prison leading up to this. So they have no choice but to let him go. A question arises from this. It's a very easy question to answer, but it's still a question. Why was Peter so bold? Why would he stand there, risk his life after doing a miracle? Okay, 5,000 people got saved. I mean, I think if that happened to you during the week, if you went and spoke the gospel in your workplace and all of a sudden your whole workplace in that instant just had a revelation and became 
Christians and you just change that whole environment, don't you think you'd kind of take a step back and go, I think I've done pretty well. I think I've, I think I've, I've, done, I've done what God's asked me to do. Now, if, if your big boss starts telling you to be quiet, don't talk about it anymore, would you go, okay, I'll just go into the shadows now. I've kind of done what God's asked me to do. I've planted the seed. Now I'll step back. But Peter, he just steps out even further, even to the point of pointing the finger at them and saying, guys, what have you done? So why was he so bold? Why would Peter make such a scene about something in front of the powerful people that held him captive? Real easy, real easy way to answer it, because he believed what he was doing. He believed what he was doing. He made such a scene because he believed it with all his heart. He believed it so much that he got locked, locked up for it. Now, these days, it's pretty hard to get locked up. Like, a lot of people I work with do some really dumb things, and the cops are called, and they get let off. Like, like you can do some pretty dumb stuff before the cops will actually chuck you in the back of the car and, and lock you up for a night. So I can imagine at this scene where Peter is with, with, the, with the cripple and with all these 5,000 people all come to Christ, he's made a pretty big scene. So this isn't just them coming saying, okay, stop now, be quiet. He would have kept going, kept going to the point where they arrested him that day and then the next day he was brought before the, before the elders and the judges and stuff. So he hasn't shut up when they've said, Stop. He's kept going. He's made a scene, got himself arrested. Now he's before the courts. Now, these days, it can take a fair bit for that to happen for us. Now, he made a scene. Now, last night, I went to the Scorchers game uh, with a few mates. I got tickets given to me with like an hour before the game kind of thing. We went to the Scorchers game with our members' tickets. So these peop- uh, the people that gave us the tickets, their mum does the scoring of all the cricket games at the Wacker. So they have these member tickets that you're allowed to go in the, the member section, which is kind of like the, well, 1980s, it was like the upper class. Like, you know, everyone went with suits, and it was like they had these crazy rules, which they've only just changed last year for the ladies, where the ladies couldn't have, like, strapless dress, uh, strap dresses and stuff. It had to be, like, full coverage. They had these crazy... They were really outdated. It was all over the news about when they changed it for the females. Anyway, they haven't changed it for the men. So you have to wear a collared shirt and you have to wear enclosed shoes and you can't look like you've just come off the street. Now, to gain entry into the member section at the WACA, where the game was, you have to be wearing that dress code. Anyway, last minute, uh, I had these four tickets, didn't even click about think about that we had tickets to the members and that's where we had to go. The game sold out, so you can't sit anywhere else. I rock up uh, with Joey and my two other, two other mates. And uh, for some reason, I'm wearing a collared shirt. For some reason, I don't know why. I put it on because we had Kai's birthday the, that morning, little party with the kids, some kids. So I had a collared shirt on, but I had thongs on. And the, two, the three other boys had nice shoes on, but they had no collared shirts. Anyway, we waltzed in there. We got there just as the game has started. We walked in the member section. The first security guard led us into the members. So now we're in the nice members area. We can try to find a place to go park ourselves. And then my two other mates who are Aboriginal guys, the security guards go straight up to them. And I thought, gee, we're getting kicked out already. Like thinking they might have done something or, you know, not even thinking about the dress code. And I go back to the security guard talking to them. Oh, yeah, what's, what's happening? And he goes, oh, these guys aren't wearing collared shirts. And he looked at me, and you're not wearing the right shoes. (laughs) 
And, and straight away, we got escorted out of the members section, kicked out of the, the upper class. The Aboriginal boys reckon because he's racist, but it was the clothes, I tried to tell him. So we got kicked out of the members section and we had to fight a few other security, not fight, sorry, argue with a few other security guards why to let us into the general public because we got kicked out of there and we had to get security guards to talk to each other and this guy to come in. Big mess. Anyway, we, they eventually found us a patch of grass. Yep, sit there, boys. All good. But we didn't make a scene because we realised that we didn't have a foot to stand on. There was a dress code. We should have checked. So we believed, okay, we're, we're in the wrong here. These guys are right. They're all good about it. We shook hands. Thanks, guys. All good. But we didn't make a scene like Peter. We weren't bold because we didn't believe in our hearts that we were in the right. We didn't believe that what we were wearing and how we were dressed was the correct thing to do. So we left it. We weren't bold, we didn't make a scene, we didn't get arrested, we didn't get escorted out of the whacker, even though we got escorted out of the members. Legit, the security guard said, okay, I'm gonna follow you, let's go. I was like, oh, he's serious. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've never been escorted out of anywhere. But we didn't kick up a fuss, we weren't bold because we didn't believe it. The opposite of Peter, where he believed it, he knew it to be true, so he was bold. He stepped up. Here is a first bit of self-reflection this morning. What do you believe? It is a pretty serious question, and it's not something you can answer with, like right now. It's a question that you ask yourself. What do you believe? Because a, a, great, a great point, if you take a note, you want to write this down. We speak boldly about things we believe deeply. We will speak boldly about things that we believe deeply, no matter what they are. It doesn't have to be God-related. It doesn't have to be church-related. It can be about your footy team, your cricket team. It can be about how amazing your kids are. It can be about how amazing your spouse is. What you believe, what you believe deeply, you will speak boldly about. In our hearts come the words out of our mouth. In Luke 6, 45, Danny's got a verse here. Good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasures of his heart brings forth evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Whatever's in your heart, whatever you believe deeply in your heart, that's what's going to come. The fruit of your heart comes out of your mouth. We'll speak boldly about things we believe deeply. So the big question is, what's deep down in your heart? What do you believe? I mean, we've all got this surface, we've got this facade, we've all got a mask that we you know, wear at different times, depending what people we're with. We're at work now, okay, we're at church now. We're with my girlfriend's parents now. We're with grandma now. Like, how many masks or how many different facades, how many different beliefs do we have to act on? What really is in deep of our heart? A, great, a good example for me is things that I believe deeply, I'll speak boldly about. Only recently, I needed a new phone, and I just stumbled across this amazing deal with, with Optus. And <clears throat> I genuinely believe this is the best deal I've ever seen for a phone, in terms of the price, the brand new Samsung Galaxy. I was only going to pay 59 bucks a month, no handset cost, the brand new S8, 20 gigs worth of data, unlimited everything else. And I was like, I'm, I'm not being paid by Optus right now, okay? But I genuinely believe that this deal that I saw was the best thing I'd ever seen. Like the next, the next best deal was about 80 bucks, and this was 59 bucks. 
So after I needed it and I needed to get a deal, so Beck and I needed to get a new phone and stuff, so we both jumped on this. And I was kind of like, I probably jumped on, on it within two hours of me seeing it because I was just like, this got to be too good to be true. This is, this is, this is cheap for like the brand new phone, blah, blah, blah. New, Beck got a new iPhone, 8, whatever. Anyway, because I believed in my heart how good it was and I'd never seen it before, I started to tell people. So I started to like, I chucked it on Facebook. A mate said, oh, his phone was broken. I pulled up my phone, look at this deal. I started speaking boldly about it and then someone would try and speak to me about their deal because I was, I was like, no, this is so much better. I was like shoving it in their face. I'm not being paid by Optus. But I was like, if they want to pay me, they can because I think I sold it. I know my mum's sitting here. Everyone, this is my mum and dad sitting behind Auntie Sue. Put your hands up, guys. This is my mum and dad sitting there. Dad flew into Singapore at 5 a.m. this morning and mum and all the kids drove up from Albany and surprised him and that was all good. So they're here. It's awesome. But down in Albany over Christmas, like mum needed a new phone and so I showed her the deal. Mum, I just got this. Check, check this out. And I was speaking boldly about it and I was up front and going off about it. And she signed up. Optus, where's my commission? I'm waiting for it. But a great example of something that I believed, something that was really good and something that I jumped on, I wanted to share with people because I'm like, hey, this is good, guys. If you need a phone, if you're looking for a good deal, you need to, you need to jump on, on this. So how do we get bold? Like it's real easy to be bold about something silly like a little phone plan. But how come we struggle so much with, you know, our faith and our belief in Christ and sharing the same thing about that? Like, you know, we can very quickly put up something on Facebook about a good deal, but are we the same enthusiastically keen to put up something on Facebook about Christ and to plaster it to all our friends out there? Not all my friends probably wanted a new phone. Probably not all my friends wanted to know anything about Optus. But I didn't care about that. I was like, this is a good deal. They need to see it. Do we think not all of my friends like God? I've got a lot of atheist friends. I do. Great, great people. But then do I think twice, oh, I don't really want to offend them by putting a God post up because they'll see it and, you know, might just change how they think about me or something. The message title is deliberately written in the first person because it's a statement, isn't it? I am bold. When you read that, you have to say it and you actually are saying a statement. You're, we're not saying in the third person, he is bold, she is bold, they are bold. We're saying I am bold because I think it's, it's important for that to be a statement in the first person because there is so much negativity that comes, from, comes to us during the week from people around us at work, at school, in our own home sometimes, unfortunately, where people will put us down, they'll throw negativity at us. You're a donkey, you're slow, you are lazy. The shed is so messy, you need to clean that, get your life together, Dad. <coughs> but we'll have so much negativity coming, from, uh, coming towards us from people, putting us down, you are this, you are that. So... We need to start doing the opposite and speaking good about ourselves. It's as silly as it is in front of the mirror. Like, you have to believe that. You've got to start saying something and speaking over your own life and maybe you'll just start to believe it. So you can believe it. You can believe, yeah, I'm bold, yeah, I'm bold, yep, I'm bold, yep, I'm bold, I'm bold, I'm bold. We can believe it, but what are we going to be bold about? And I think that's the main, the main thing here. Because we can all be bold about something. If I start talking to you about your footy team, your cricket team, your rugby team, your basketball team, whatever, or something you're passionate about, your business, 
your, whatever you, you've got going on, whatever you're passionate about, you will, in five minutes, if I speak to you, I'll be able to see what you're bold about. I'll be able to see where your heart is. I'll be able to see deep down what you're really about. So what is it? Last night I saw plenty of cricket fans who were bold about the Scorchers. And it came down to the second last ball with a massive hit. It was incredible. The crowd just went nuts. We won it off the last second last ball. Fireworks everywhere, like 22, 23,000 people just going crazy, just sea of orange. So much fun to be there. And like everyone was just passionate and bold about the Scorchers. Didn't see any Hobart Hurricane fans there because if they were, they would have been, I don't know, booed or whatever. Like not a good place for them to be because of how bold and the environment was all about the Scorchers. They were bold. We need to be bold in Christ church. We need to be bold in things to do with God. We need to be bold about our relationship with God and our belief. We need to be bold about the truth that he can set everyone free around us. Why would we hold something like that captive in our hearts where it can be such a blessing to everyone around us if we just had the boldness to, to speak? Two great ways becoming more bold with your faith is you need to identify and choose who you're going to listen to and you need to build your relationship with God. If you haven't already, go on Facebook, listen to Pastor Tom's last two messages. The last one he did was called Build Your Relationship, talking about building your relationship with Christ. The message before that was titled, Who Are You Listening To? Two key points for being bold. That'd be great if I could just say, right, go listen to those two messages, done, let's go home, done. There's a little bit more to it than that because of the opposition that will start to come against us. But if you want some instructions on how to get bold and how to build that relationship, then go listen to those two messages. They're two big ticket-winning combinations to being bold. Listen to the one who matters and build your relationship him with build your relationship with him. When we do that consistently, boldness becomes the fruit of that. Boldness will be the fruit of your consistent investment into your relationship with God and who you listen to. But you know what's going to happen? Unfortunately, unfortunately, the second you start diving into this and the second you start to put an ounce of effort into this, you're going to get opposition. It'll come from two areas, mainly two areas, could come from more, but mainly it'll come from two areas and both of them are from your flesh. Number one, human affection and praise. Will they still like me if they really know what I believe? Will they still be my friend if I invite them to church? They might block me on Facebook if I share a Christian post or update my social media status to be like a Bible verse or something. They might block me. Like I might not be friends with them anymore on Facebook. No, there's no way I can be that public and bold about my belief. Like I can do it in church on a Sunday, that's fine. I'll even raise my hand a bit and sing. But on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, no, I can't, I can't do it. That's my, that's, my, that's my image. That's like who I am. There's kind of like something to, something to think about in that alone. Like if your image on social media doesn't reflect your real life, then that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother ball game. So human affection and praise, it'll stop us. <clears throat> the need for that, the need to be liked by everyone, 
the need to be wanted and praised. The other one is the love and comfort. The love of comfort and security will be the other reason why we don't step out into boldness and get out there. What if I fail? What if I start a Jesus conversation with someone and they ask me a really tough Bible question and I don't know the answer? Does that ever scare anyone? Like if I get into this chat, what if they ask me some crazy, theological, deep, like crazy gene- genealogy-based question, then what if I'm, I'll, 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 yeah, no, nah, can't do it. <laughs> what if I fail? What if they start asking me the hard questions and want to get into a debate? I'm not ready for that. That's scary. What if someone says, okay, well, let me, let me test your faith. Here we go. Like, genuinely, it can be scary, especially if you're speaking to an atheist who's, like, done, you know, six years of, of, of uni, something to do with, you know, the whole science of the world, and will just come at you with facts, and they found this, and they found that, and, and you just shrink up into this ball and just go... This is not comfortable. I'm not in my comfort zone. I should never have said that. I should never even said, I'm going to church Sunday. Because <laughs> that fear of failure, that fear of saying something wrong, that fear of, as far as my mouth, is what's going to come out going to be like perfect? Let me tell you, it's not. <laughs> you, you will make mistakes. You will say the wrong thing. <laughs> How many times have anyone on this stage preaching me included like might just quote a scripture wrong or might explain a story and uh, hang on a sec that's wrong you make mistakes so does that fear of me making a mistake maybe misquoting a bible verse or or saying it was from john when really it was from genesis <laughs> don't know you get that mixed up but i could i, I, I could do it does that fear of making a mistake then stop me from you know, stepping out into what God wants to push me into. Great questions to ask yourself. But human affection and praise and the love of comfort and security will stop us or try and stop us. Two big problem areas that we spend time thinking about and worrying about when battling our flesh can even dampen dampen us. A bit of a grey cloud, isn't it? Like, it can really be, you know, the be and end all of why we speak and who we speak to and what we say because of those two things in, in any area of our life. You might have like heard those couple of things I was just saying and thought, yeah, that's 100%, that's me. I, I f- genuinely fear about getting to a debate with someone who is probably way more academic than me and could just shut me down. Like, that's, that's a comfort zone that I don't want to exit out of to get into that. Let's, let's look at someone, because guess what? In, it, was, it was the same for the guys in the Bible. We, we look at Peter. Now, Peter is one of Jesus' best mates. Hanging out with him 24-7. Probably the only time they weren't together is when they were sleeping or, you know. And he's so bold. <clears throat> a, a quick look at a story. We remember when he got out of the boat walk to Jesus. I mean, that's pretty bold to step out of a boat and have that faith to just take those few steps on the water. Like, that, that is boldness. That is, that is crazy bold. I mean, the story would have been cooler if there were, like, sharks surrounding the boat and stuff. Like, we could have just, like, lightning and a pirate ship went past or something. Like, you could up the story to make it cooler. But that's still really bold to jump out of the boat and, and do, do what he did. 
Another time he was bold, he's hanging out with Jesus. Jesus gets arrested and, I mean, I don't know how many soldiers rocked up to arrest him, but it wouldn't have been two. It would have been a lot more than that. The, one of the versions of the Bible said it was like a, a, a part of a troop or like a disconnection of a troop. And I don't know how many a troop is back in the day, but, I mean, we could, we could say it was, a, it was probably more, more soldiers than disciples and Jesus, we could assume. And Jesus gets arrested. Judas walks up to Jesus and betrays him, kisses him on the, on the cheek to identify who was Jesus. And then Jesus kind of identifies, yeah, that's me. Like, who you're looking for, that's me, guys. Hands up. That's me. And then Peter, he's so bold. He goes, nah, you're not taking my mate. Whips out his sword and just, I mean, this is a dumb fisherman with a sword. Watch out. Like, this guy's not a soldier. But he's so bold in the midst of all of these soldiers surrounding them. Jesus is about to you know, they all know what's going on. Jesus has been telling them for the last week, guys, I'm leaving now. Peter, you're going to, de- you're going to deny me. Like, he, he, Jesus has been telling them, and so Peter like, whips out his sword, and nah, we're going down swinging. This takes a big swing at a dude, knocks his ear off. I mean, 100% I reckon Peter was aiming for his head because he's a dumb fisherman, he just missed. Like, if he was a skilled soldier, you guarantee that dude's got a sword through his skull. But Peter's just wild swinging, like, I'm bold, look at me. Takes, takes off a guy's ear. Like, how bold do you have to be like, to do that? Jesus is probably calm and collected. He's been praying. He's been telling them what's happening. They're going to come. They're arresting me. And Peter still steps up in the face of all those soldiers and just gets his sword out. Like, and thankfully, like, Jesus calms it down, probably stops Peter getting killed by the soldiers or whatever. I'd love to know, like, the, you know, the fly on the wall kind of bits, like the bits that we don't get to read about, like... What, you know, how long did that scene go for? Was there a fight? Was there an argument? Was there a commotion? How long did the guy cry for? Like, the guy holding his ear, you know? Like, I'm just interested in all that kind of stuff. It's weird. My head's weird. But right there, he's so bold in the face of Jesus' arrest. We see this couple of examples. We think, yeah, this guy's bold. He isn't thinking about human affection and praise. He isn't thinking about his comfort zone and his security. He's just, nah, I'm stepping on the water. I'm having a swing. I'm going down fighting. He's got a boldness that we could admire and go, wow, that guy's bold. It's crazy, though. In the same chapter in John, the same chapter is probably later that night after he's been arrested, Peter denies ever knowing Jesus. Peter denies ever being with him. Peter denies even knowing who he is. Like, who? What? Me? No. But like hours ago, he was swinging in front of Jesus, ready to fight for his mate. Bold. But then all of a sudden, when Jesus isn't there and he's kind of by himself and he's just hanging around the fire with some randoms, just warming his hands, trying to stay warm later that night, and people ask him the question, he, no, not me. How can you go from so bold and so loud and just ready to go to the complete opposite? Just want nothing to do with it. No. Big bold Peter's flesh gets in the way and he suddenly cares about what people think. He suddenly cares what might happen to him, his comfort zone, his security. Wow, they just arrested Jesus. What does that mean for me? I can't say I know him. Otherwise, my head's on the chopping block. 
I'm not with my mates and the disciples and Jesus anymore. I'm around this fire trying to stay warm with all these randoms. One of the people that spoke to him was a relative of the person, he, the ear that he cut off. So the person that Peter hurt earlier that night, one of their relatives was around the fire warming up and said, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' mates? Like, that's confronting. I just like almost killed your friend. And no, it wasn't me. Like, you can see his comfort zone and his security and his need for acceptance be his number one priority when he's all alone around a fire with some randoms. He's out of church. He's not there. It's not Sunday morning anymore with Jesus all praying together, having a great time. This is out in the world alone. And all of a sudden he gets, he gets asked. Church, if it can happen to a man who walked alongside Jesus every single day, you can guarantee we're going to be in the exact same boat. You can guarantee there's going to be times where that big, bold, confident you will just go into that kind of denying little Peter around a fire going, no, it's not me. It's got nothing to do with me. You can guarantee it. You could probably even count in your head times that it's happened and recall on situations where, ah, I just, I just went into my shell there, didn't I? I blew it. But do not feel shame or guilt when you feel the same way. We can't. The Bible says that that shame and guilt, that doesn't come from God. That's not God trying to point out your wrongs. That's not God trying to drag you through the dirt that you've done. That shame and guilt and, and that feel of feel, feeling of failure never comes from God. Never, never comes from our Heavenly Father. That's, that's, that's our flesh. That's the devil going, look what you've done. Look what you've done. You failed here. You're miserable there. You could have done better over here. That fear of that shame and guilt, don't, don't stay in it. Instead, listen to God and you will hear him restoring you. You will hear him lifting you up out of the shame and guilt that tries to lie to you and pull you down. In, in chapter 22 of John, which is just after Jesus has, has risen, that chapter is actually titled, Jesus Restores Peter. And it's a really weird conversation. Peter, do you love me? Peter, yes. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Like, and that weird chapter, which like, <laughs> if my wife asked me that question, I'd be like, what is wrong with you, babe? I've said yes. What do you want me to mow the lawn? Like, <laughs> yes, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> but like if you had that conversation with your spouse and they were that serious every time they asked the question, you're like, what, what's going on here? But for Peter, that was like restoration. That was God just kind of like getting alongside him. Is it coincidence that it was three times and he denied him three times? I don't know. Or was it more? He speaks to Peter and restores him. God wants to do the same with us. In Thessalonians 2.6, Paul, Paul writes this, and, and, and Danny's, Danny's got it up. So, so Paul's writing to a church, and he's saying, we didn't seek glory from men or from you or from any others when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. Basically saying, when we were bold, when we were out there making demands and proclaiming Jesus, we were not seeking affection or praise or acceptance for, from any man. That's the attitude we need to have. This attitude that Paul is writing about to the Thessalonians. Church, we need to do the same. We can't be bold if we're looking for praise from the ones around us. When it comes to our love for comfort and security, we need to accept that we were always going to have fear. Huh? I think it's a mistake that sometimes we think that if we're bold, then it means fear has nothing to do with us or there's no fear in our life. 
like Pastor Tom said it the other week that like I think he said something about faithfulness isn't the absence of fear or like fear isn't the, the absence of faith, however he was, he was saying it, where boldness, being bold isn't the absence of you having fear or rec- recognizing fear. The truth is fear is always going to be there. We just have to make a decision to act in boldness and confidence instead of acting in fear. We'll ask, ask King David. There's a, a verse in Psalm 3.6 that says, I will not be afraid of 10,000... I will not be afraid of 10,000 of people who have set themselves against me all around. In the Psalm, he's kind of talking about when they were camped and they were just surrounded. He recognized... That he recognized the danger. He saw the fear. There was fear in him. But he's saying, I won't be afraid. Even though that is dangerous, and even though that can kill us, I'm not going to be afraid. There's no fear there. There is fear there, but he's not acting on it. He's deliberately writing here, I will not be afraid. I will not act on the fear. And again, in, in verse uh, chapter 27, 3 of Psalms, Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. He's, he's making a decision. Even though there is stuff going on around me, even though I am trapped, I am boxed in, and this doesn't look good, my heart will not fear. Even though I haven't paid those bills and the debt is piling up, I'm not going to fear. God's in control. Even though my family relationships are like in tatters and like it's such a mess and I haven't seen my kids in five years, I will not fear because God is in control and I will have boldness and confidence in Him. I will not fear that like we haven't sold our house and like it's been in the market for like two years and all these other houses are selling, we can't sell our house. Like I will not fear in the fact that the house isn't selling, like, God, you're in control. I will be bold and confident in you. Like, there are so many scenarios I could just randomly pop up in my head that, you know, you could be in, but there's probably a scenario right now that you can easily identify and go, you know what, I will not fear that situation. Even though it doesn't look good, even though I'm trapped all in, like I'm boxed in here, I'm not going to act on this faith. David recognizes the fear, he sees it, he knew it was there, but he made a decision to not let it be his path. Something I randomly wrote down the other day. Feelings are the fruit of your flesh. Feelings are the fruit of your flesh. I mean, the f- not much good comes out of the flesh, like so sinful and just messed up. But feelings come out of it. You feel tired. I can't go to church today. I feel tired. I woke up. I feel grumpy. I just, I don't like, I just don't feel good because she spoke to me like that. I don't feel good because he said that about me. Feel, feel, feel. And all of our emotions that we kind of make excuses for are attached to our feelings that are all coming out of our flesh. Our flesh shouldn't be in control. Rebecca, you, you said it this morning. I can't remember exactly what you said, but I heard it and thought, oh, I should write that down. And I don't have a pen. It's gone. <laughs> and it's my head. Yeah, I don't know where it is in there. But our flesh shouldn't be in control. Our flesh shouldn't dictate the direction we're going or shouldn't dictate, you know, our day because of how we feel, because of an experience we might have had that upset us or didn't go to plan or put a spanner in the works. My feelings were hurt at church today, so I'm not going back. It's sad, like, a lot, a lot of friends of mine, 
well, I wouldn't say a lot. There's a small handful of people that I know who have just, they've had a problem with, you know, just church in general. Like because of something that happened in one particular church where someone might have said something, there was a bad situation or something went down and their feelings were hurt, their emotions were, were damaged, they were hurt and they just took that and just disappeared off into the shadows with that. And now anything to do with church, anything to do with like people that go to church, there's just this barrier because of the feelings and the hurt from that. Don't let the feelings of fear stop you from stepping out with boldness. After Peter was released, we're going back to our story at the start. After he was released, after he was bold in front of all of his accusers, he went and prayed with a bunch of believers. And in their, in their prayer, they even identify the fear. Acts 4.29, um, when they're praying, Now, Lord, look at their threats. Because, you know, they were threatened. They were like, don't speak about Jesus. Don't go around proclaiming him. Don't go around healing in his name. Just quit it. Stop it. Put a sock in it. We don't want to hear it. And they just come at him with threats. So they're praying and they're like, Lord, look at their threats. And grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. They are identifying that there's fear there. God, there are some threats coming against us. You know what they are. You've heard them yourself. There are some threats coming against us, but give us boldness that we may still speak and still do our thing in the midst of that. That's essentially what they're praying. It's a chapter or two, not even that, after Peter's released. They're identifying the fear. Look at the threats they're making, God. Help us to have the boldness in the middle of this. See, the devil knows that once you give your life to Christ, you're, you're free, right? You're, you're out of his control. You're not captive anymore. You're out of it. But if he can hinder you in any way, guarantee it, it's coming. If he can stop you being effective and have you kind of stepping into the shadows, oh, he's happy if you just go to church. You can go to church every single day of your life. You can stand there and raise your hand. I mean, the devil's lost you anyway. That doesn't bother him one single bit. You can go and sing you can go and have coffee in the fellowship room. That's fine. But the second you become starting, the second you start to become effective and actually affecting the people around you and being a good influence and speaking in people's life, actually helping them make the right decisions and, and leading them and guiding them and actually doing what the Bible calls us to do, then the devil has a problem with that. So he's going to try and hinder you. So those, the fleshy desires that we spoke about, the, 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 the fear of being out of the comfort zone and out of our security and the, and the fear of not being liked and wanted and praised by people, that stuff is all ourselves. I mean, the devil doesn't come, come like and say, you're, you're scared of people wanting to like you today. That's just natural. That's just our flesh. That's just our sinfulness. The devil, like you said, Rebecca, doesn't have to come and, and make us do things. We do it ourselves. Like, it's our flesh that is messed up. The devil doesn't actually have to come and like plant that in us. We've got that. It's our fault. So if you ever are led by the Holy Spirit to be bold, act quickly. Because hesitation is a hindrance. And the more I think about it, every time I hesitated, I missed something. Oh, so many times in my life can I identify times where I didn't decide to step into it straight away and later regret it. Someone's got a nice ringtone. 
Everyone's picking up the bag. Is it me? Every time I can identify, I can clearly, I can even probably get a bit of paper and just write down, right, it was there. That person said something. I felt instantly it was a nudge by the Holy Spirit. It's it's all right. (laughs) It's all right, Bonnie. She look how embarrassed she is. It's just great to see a senior with a mobile phone. It's incredible. <laughs> but I can, I can actually count times where I have had hesitation and I have just been kicking myself later going, man, why didn't I say, hey, can I pray for you? Hey, can I, can I speak into this? Hey, can I invite you here? Can I do this? Like... Every time you feel that little prompting to be bold, that's the Holy Spirit. Like, and as quiet as that is, like it is the quietest voice you will hear in the midst of your situation. It is not like a truck goes past, you should say this. It is like the quietest thing. And like the, the more you, you build in your relationship and listen to the Word of God and, and, and learn how to listen and obey the Holy Spirit, that'll become louder. But to start with, that is the smallest, the smallest voice you will hear. Say this. Ask, ask him if, he, if you can pray for him. Just tell him, tell him about church. Tell him about what you do. That, that first nudge is the Holy Spirit. Just a gentle little... And the second you hesitate, I can guarantee you 10 seconds will pass, not even that. And you would have missed it. You've talked yourself out of it. You've taken a backward step. The conversation's changed. The person's walked off. Oh, missed that is such a tool, I reckon, that we just don't, like, we're not going to give devil credit for it, but it's us, obviously, our dumb flesh. But it's such a thing that we miss when we are hesitant not to step into boldness straight away. Paul, whose name used to be Saul, you know, the guy, he was hunting, arresting Christians, standing there, proving the stoning of, of Stephen, holding the coats. Yeah, I'll hold your coat, grab a rock, go kill him. Saul, who was killing the Christians, hunting them like going from town to town to arrest them, to put them all in jail, to just disrupt their congregations and their fellowships and, and all that stuff, make their life miserable. You know, Saul, he was bold. Like to, to say, guys, give me your jackets, let's stone him, I'll hold him. Like to be there kind of like the overpowering figure in all of that, just that weird image of him standing there holding the jackets. Like that's a really weird, powerful little little thing. But Saul, who was so bold doing that, going from town to town, doing, doing his thing. Later when his name is, is changed, to, changed to Paul, he was, he was pretty bold, but he began to travel around and did what he did before he counted Christ. But in Ephesians 6.19, he's writing a letter to a church. So he's, he's now Paul, he's now a Christian, he's doing, he's doing you know, God's work. Even him who was so bold, he's writing this letter to the Ephesians and he's saying to him, and for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. He's asking the churches, guys, you need to pray for me so I'm bold. You need to pray for me so I can step out and actually say what God wants me to say so I can actually preach the gospel. I need you to do this for me. This is the guy who was bold enough to stand there and approve of the stoning of people and approve of people being arrested and locked up just for saying they were a Christian or a believer. Now, all of a sudden, 
He's saying, you need to pray for me. I'm not bold. Pray that I can do it. Someone as bold as Paul is asking the church, hey, you need to pray. I had a conversation with a friend during the week. We went and had some dinner with some friends from Makahua down in Perth. And we're speaking about what I was going to be speaking about today. I had a quick conversation about it. And we started talking about comfort zones. Um, and Derek, Derek, his name is, he was, he was, we were talking about comfort zones. And he was saying how our comfort zone will never expand unless we step out of it. Our comfort zone will always stay the exact same shape if we stay in it. And you know what? Chances are the comfort zone will actually shrink slowly over time if we just stay in it. Like, it's a reality. It's, it's just how it works. But it no longer becomes out of your comfort zone once you've stepped out and abode in that place. This is, this is something really, I want, you to, I want you to grab this. Because for me, coming up here, speaking on this stage, was completely out of my comfort zone, what, two, three, four years ago. Like me just standing in front of our 40, 50 youth was like out of my comfort zone enough. But I kept being pushed into it, I kept being ushered into it, I kept being supported into it. And sooner, sooner or later, it started to become my comfort zone. Yeah, I'm happy up here now. I'm, I'm confident in doing this. But a couple of years ago, if you ever asked me, five years ago, six years ago, oh, yeah, you might be preaching one day, I would have, oh, no, thanks. No, nah, no deal. Not me. It's not in my comfort zone. That's, I'm, not, I'm not okay with that. There, you know, there's other preachers out there that can do that. But then I'm here now, and all of a sudden, this becomes my comfort zone. And there are so many other areas in my life that are not in my comfort zone that God's trying to push me into. What are yours? What things in your life are outside of your comfort zone that you won't step into? Use the boldness to step into them, make them your comfort zone, and that just becomes your way of life. Like Pastor Tom and Jane, aren't they just incredible pastors? Like their comfort zone is like massive. Like, absolutely massive. Like, I actually don't know where it ends, to be honest. Like, probably for Pastor Tom, maybe jumping on a motorbike out in a bush that might end there, like chasing kangaroos or, you know, shooting guns. I think it might end there. I'm not sure. I've never really tried that with him. But but I can't identify for him and Pastor Jane, like, where it ends. Because they've just kept going here, going there. Like, they just keep extending it, and they just keep stepping in that. Like, you tell them that you're not feeling well, bang, before you know it, their hands are on you, they're praying for you. But, like, for me, if someone at work or someone said that, like, I'm feeling, the, I'm feeling that nudge from the Holy Spirit, hey, ask him to pray. Like, I'm like, well, like, no, here we go. Like, that's, that's on the borderline of my comfort zone to get there. But then you look at the people who are doing it, they never used to do it. Pastor Tom and Jane never grew up in a, like, a Christian family, going to church, worshipping God. Like, that wasn't a way of life for them like it is for you know, our kids or us now. They were never... like So they had to get to a point where even going into a church building, Pastor Tom would tell you, was like, <laughs> that's, that's not comfortable. Like, and now, it's just a great example to look at their incredible life and just go, wow, they've like... They just keep pushing their comfort zone, keep pushing their comfort zone, keep pushing their comfort zone. You either push it out further, which then becomes your comfort zone, or you're held back and it shrinks. A great thing to think about this morning 
and a great, I guess, thing to, to remember that, hey, look, when you get that little nudge from the Holy Spirit, hey, step out in boldness. <clears throat> don't worry about the failure. Don't worry about your comfort zone. Don't worry about your security. Don't worry about what people might think. Don't worry if that person blocks you or deletes you on Facebook. <laughs> like, it's crazy how that whole social media world can have such a grip on, like, our, I don't know, our value, our worth. Like, how many likes did my photo get? How many people have seen this? How many people have seen that? How many people are talking about this? Like, the Bible says that stuff's rubbish. You're not, you're not doing it for anyone else. But do it for me and be bold for me. Amen? Lord, we just thank you for this great message. Lord, we just thank you for bringing this to me, Lord, to, to nudge me and to push me out of my comfort zone. Lord, I pray that I also, uh, that seed, Lord, goes forth and has an impact uh, on all of us as a congregation, God, in, in whatever form and whatever measure that you've set it out to do. Lord, I pray that we accept that this morning. And Lord, that if we can just, we can just step out as small as, it can, as small as it can be, Lord. Whatever, that it, whatever it is, that first step you've got for us, Lord, I pray that this week that that Holy Spirit will give us that nudge. And Lord, we won't be hesitant. Lord, we won't care about what the people around us might think of our, our beliefs. We won't care that it's out of our comfort zone and we just feel vulnerable out here. Lord, we just pray that you just give us opportunities this week, as small as they may be, God, to just step out in boldness. In your name, amen.